You ready for me to yak at you for a bit? All right, we're Acts chapter 2. One of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. Again, my pages are falling out of this Bible because my kids tear them up. (laughs) Too many kids to control. Well, Father, we come to you this morning desperate to hear your voice or desperate to hear what you have to say. Lord, this word to us is precious. Lord, I pray in this time you would make us very aware of your presence. Lord, if there are hard hearts in the house this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. And do what only you could do. You said that you'd turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Lord, if there are cold hearts, we pray that the fire of the Spirit would come. Lord, I'm reminded of the men who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And they said that our hearts not burn within us when he spoke to us. Lord, we pray when we leave this house today, we would say that our hearts not burn within us when we met with God. We need you. We need you, Lord. Our nation is in turmoil. Oh, Lord, we just declare this morning that our hope is in the Lord. And, Lord, more than, more than any strategy or political party, Lord, we just say we need revival. We need a move of the Spirit. We need the gospel to be preached in power. We need dead hearts to be. We need sinners to come and behold the glory of Jesus and bow their knees, God. We need you to pour out your Spirit on this land, God. More than anything else, we say we need you, Holy Spirit. Oh, God. So we set our eyes on you today. We set our eyes on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Y'all trying to get me stirred up before we even get started. Shame on you. (laughs) Well, as I prepared for Acts chapter 2 this week to cover, we'll be in verse 1 through 12 today. Um, I spent some time, I don't know, for some reason my mind got tangled up thinking about the Apostle Thomas. Um, Thomas seems like a a rather pragmatic man. He only speaks three times in the scriptures, all in the Gospel of John. Um, The first time Thomas speaks is when Lazarus dies. You remember Jesus um, is told that Lazarus is sick and Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't come to Bethany for a couple days. And when Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to go to Bethany, Thomas responds and says, let us go with him that we may die also, that we we may die with him. Um, when you read that on the surface, you'll think that Thomas is saying, let us go die with Lazarus. But that scholars don't think that's actually what's happening in the text. The, the language seems to imply that what Thomas is saying is, let us go die with Jesus. Because Jesus has just been run out of Bethany by people who are persecuting him, looking to kill him, the scripture tells us. So in Bethany, they want to kill Jesus. Now Jesus is telling the disciples, we're going to go back to Bethany. And Thomas says, let us go die with him. A very pragmatic thing to say. Thomas is already thinking through the implications of going to Bethany, probably death. And so Thomas says, let us go die with Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus is telling the disciples that he's getting ready to go and prepare a place for them. And Thomas responds in John 14, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Again, a very pragmatic question. How can we know the way? This is where Jesus responds with, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. 
And of course, the last time Thomas speaks, he's famous for, right? He goes down for this one. The, the women have seen Jesus. The disciples have seen the resurrected Jesus. And Thomas says in John chapter 20, verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I imagine the testimonies were filled with emotion and ecstatic excitement, right? You see the resurrected Jesus. You're, you're, you're excited, man. You are, you are ramped up and ready to go. And they barge in the room and they begin to tell Thomas of, of this experience. They've seen the resurrected God. But to Thomas, it feels like emotionalism. To Thomas, it feels like vain excitement. Thomas is saying, I've seen this kind of excitement before. I've seen this kind of emotion before. I won't be caught up in your emotion. I'll have to put my hands in the holes in his hands, stick my hands in his side before I believe. Now, Jesus appears to him eight days later. They're in a room locked up because they're scared of persecution, and Jesus walks through the walls because that's how Jesus rolls. Just walks in the room. And Jesus tells Thomas, Place your hands in my wounds. Remember, he says, Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas responds with, again, a really pragmatic line of scripture. This is one of the clearest. Um, declarations of the deity of Christ, Thomas responds with, my Lord and my God. Thomas responds by saying, you are, because you are the resurrected Savior, you are now my Lord. I know that you're my Lord and you are God, Theos. You are my God. Now again, my mind's rolling around thinking about Thomas and his personality and his pragmatic nature Imagining him in the upper room, you know, waiting on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I thought this week, you know, we're talking about the disciples being told to wait in Jerusalem. In Matthew 28, we get the Great Commission where Jesus says to go to every nation and preach the gospel. Teach them all that I've taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now to a pragmatic man, I think this is really important. To a pragmatic man, when you say, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel to all nations. I imagine Thomas elbowing Peter and saying, you're going to have to go back to school, big boy, because that's a lot of language there that you're going to have to be learning. Missionaries face plain problems. The first being language, okay? Second, understanding, studying culture. I imagine Thomas's pragmatic mind going, oh, Oh, Peter's going to have to take his uneducated self back to school. He's got some learning to do. Now, obviously, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, the, in the process of Hellenization, Greek is becoming a prominent language. But there are still, to the ends of the earth, they're aware that there are nations that they will not be able to communicate with. And now, you're telling me that heaven is de demanding of me that I preach the gospel to the four corners of the earth? Language problem right away. So the disciples have this command from heaven, carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, and now a command, wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now again, think of the pragmatic Thomas. He's now put his hands in the holes in Jesus' side. Again, the picture of um, Genesis where, the, where Eve is pulled from Adam's side. The, the church is pulled from the side of Jesus. And Thomas is 
with angst and energy and excitement, ready to preach the gospel. I think the disciples are like pin-up racehorses, ready to run, and they're waiting in the upper room. Jesus says, wait here. And so they've got all this energy. They know that they know that they know that Jesus is the resurrected king of the universe. But now they're pent up in a room waiting. They also know that persecution looms. They know that they'll have barriers to fight through. There's challenges to come. So they wait for the promise of the Father. Now we spoke in the first sermon in this series in Acts chapter 1 on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine surrounding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not my goal today to rehash that that sermon. If you missed it, you can find it on YouTube or our website. If you're looking for what we believe about the, the doctrine surrounding the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the first sermon in this series would be the sermon for you. Today I want to look, dig through the narrative and try to, try to ask the question, what is God saying? What is God doing? What is God communicating to these men? So let's read from Acts chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance now there were dwelling in jerusalem jews devout men from every nation under heaven and at this sound the multitude came together at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying, are, are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this said they're filled with new wine when the day of Pentecost arrived the Greek literally reads when the day of Pentecost reached its fulfillment seasons man much of the Christian life is seasonal God has timing and plans He's organized his plans in a way that best unravel and tell the story that he wants to tell. Seasons. The Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament is often called the Feast of Weeks. Weeks, or sometimes it's called the the Week of Weeks. Meaning there were seven weeks, seven days of seven weeks, makes 49 days. The 50th, Pente, being the day of Pentecost. Feast of Weeks, Week of Weeks, seven weeks. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He resurrected on the day of first fruits when they began to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest, the new creation. He walked the earth for 40 days before his ascension. That's the best Bible school the earth has ever known. 40 days with the resurrected Jesus. We need to figure out how to get in that one. 
Oakland and Ravenhill used to always call our seminaries cemeteries. He said, in our cemeteries? <laughs> Leading us to conclude that the disciples waited in the place of prayer for 10 days. 40 days they walked with Jesus. He ascended. 10 days they waited for the day of Pentecost. But they don't know how long God's going to leave them waiting. And, and I imagine the anticipation this week. Again, angst, pent up energy, ready to run. How long would God leave them tarrying? Waiting can be frustrating. Waiting also it sifts some things out from us. I think in waiting, sometimes the, the flaky are shaken off. I think sometimes God causes the church to wait because he's dwindling us down to those who really have faith. The disciples pray together in unity. Do some grow weary? Do any begin to tap out? Are they still as excited and as expectant 10 days later as it were the day they saw the ascension of Jesus? Are you still as excited and expectant concerning the gospel of Christ as the day you first met him? Is there still a burn in your heart for the nations? The day you met Jesus, when you knew that you knew that you knew that his power alone can transform and your heart was excited to share the gospel, do you still carry that kind of first love? Ten days is obviously a short period to wait in hindsight. But you waited on election results for four days and you're all biting your nails. When you don't know when the end is coming, ten days can feel like a long time. And the church has waited now 2,000 years for the return of Christ. The Jews waited for centuries for Messiah. Faith demands that you maintain a posture of anticipation. Faith demands that of you. That you remain in a posture of anticipation concerning what Jesus is going to do. That you hope, you wait in confident hope. Prayer will at times leave you feeling dangling, unsure of where you are on God's timeline. How long, O oh God, will you shut up the heavens, the psalmist said. When will you rend the heavens and come down? There are these seasons where it feels like we're dangling in the waiting period. And, and prayer and faith must rise up in your heart. And you have to learn to lean in in the waiting seasons. Allow the, the flame of your heart to be kindled, to burn. Allow waiting to cause you to burn hotter, not to dwindle. Faith demands of you a posture of anticipation. The disciples wait. I remember Elijah praying on Mount Carmel, praying for rain, and he sends his servant to go see, and there's, see if you see any clouds in the distance, and no rain. Seven times he sends them to see. On the seventh time, he sees a little cloud in the distance, and Elijah says, by God, we've got it. That kind of fervent prayer, James, James tells us to hold on to. The kind of fervent prayer that keeps praying, keeps waiting, keeps believing, still has vision for this community to bow its knee to Jesus, is still passionate about your family coming to know him, no matter what your natural eyes see. Maybe you see drug addiction, maybe you see economic problems, maybe you see bitterness, but faith has to rise up in a posture of anticipation and say, God, I still believe you are able, I still believe you are willing, I still believe the gospel is the only hope for my family, I I don't quit on my faith. I don't quit on a posture of anticipation. They waited. And the scripture says, and suddenly. And that's how God works. And it's so, it can be so obnoxious sometimes. You're in this season of great waiting. 
And then in a moment, God rends the heavens. In a moment, suddenly, the room is filled with the sound of mighty rushing wind. Suddenly, in a moment, God breaks in and breaks through. But if you quit on the waiting, you'll miss the suddenly. You've got to learn that in your Christian life. If you quit leaning in, if you quit in the praying, you may find yourself out and about shopping and enjoying some nice day when the church is in the upper room praying and the fire of the Holy Ghost is falling. You let yourself get stale and you're out at the Tanger outlets when you should be in the upper room praying. And you miss the suddenly because you didn't learn to wait. Do you really have passion Have you kept the vision in front of you? My heart's hot to see this community come to know Jesus. Suddenly, the room was filled with the sound of mighty wind. Oh, it reminds me of the breath of when God breathed in Adam's nostrils. God breathes on the room. Do you long to know that kind of manifestation of God's glory and power? Do you still believe He's able to step in the room and change everything? The scripture says, Divided tongues as of fire came and rested upon each of them. Divided tongues. It's actually interesting language. What it seems to imply is that there was a central fire that descended and then that fire divided and, and tongues of fire rested upon them. Now, tongues of fire implies also that it wasn't a, a raging, rushing flame that destroys and consumes, but the flame like a candle, like a, like a flickering flame, rests upon each of their heads. Why tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost? Consider the imagery with me for a moment. Well, number one, Pentecost has to do with harvest. Pentecost is a celebration of the harvest. And Jesus refers to the evangelization of the nations as gathering in the harvest. Jesus refers to sons and daughters of God preaching to the nations. He calls that a harvest. We would gather in the harvest. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 35, the fields are white and ready for harvest. The day of Pentecost is the day God declares, now go get the harvest. Now, preach the gospel. Now, get wild in the nations, declaring the good news of who Jesus is. Today, you are commissioned by the power of the Spirit. Now, go retrieve my harvest. Again, are we laboring in it? Is the harvest the the primary and the central vision of your life? And when you think about your dreams and your hopes for the future your desire for your children, all of those things should in some way revolve around this one thing, that we would retrieve the harvest for Jesus Christ. Is that what you think about? Is that what you ponder? I prayed, we, you know, we've been praying in the church, and I find myself praying the prayer that, um, uh, oh, praying John Hyde prayed. Remember the, the missionary to India? He used to say this. It's a little dramatic, but you know me at this point. I like the drama. He used to pray, God, give us souls lest we die. Give me souls, God, or I die. He said, my heart is so desperate for souls. I'm going to break, God, if you don't give us souls. I find myself praying that in the altars last night. God, give us souls. As we paced and prayed, I find myself praying, make us evangelists, God. (laughs) 
on the day of Pentecost. We talked about this on the day of Pentecost this year. Also, the day of Pentecost was the day that Moses was given the law. So the day of Pentecost is the day that the church is released with the gospel. Why tongues of fire? Well, that seems plain, plain enough, right? The tongue is the organ used to proclaim. The tongue is the organ used to speak, to declare, to announce. The disciples are called to open their mouths and deliver God's word bathed in the fire of the Spirit. God proclaims from Acts 2 on that what he is after is tongues that have known his power, declaring his truth, spirit-bathed witnesses who know that they know that they know that the blood of Christ shed on Calvary is the only hope for humanity and that Jesus has surely gotten up from the grave. But the disciples are not to minister in their own strength, but by the fire of God. He will anoint their lips. He will place a holy flame in their bellies, cause their tongue to carry the good news of the gospel. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. So tongues of fire at the celebration of harvest. They're filled with the Spirit not filled with their own energy, not filled with their own passion, not filled with their own charisma, but God's Spirit fills them to the overflow. They began to speak in tongues in languages formerly unknown to them. I don't think there's any reason to believe that they comprehended what they were saying. It's also quite plain that they were filled with joy and zeal, that they were giddy at the presence of God. Because the mockers call them drunks. And I just want to, I just need to say, when the spirit steps in the room after a season of waiting, it is perfectly appropriate to be giddy. Joy is the perfectly appropriate expression to the moment when the presence of God comes. And as a church, I need to just give you permission to experience joy, okay? The church doesn't have to be stale and cold and stiff by God. We have a Messiah who has set us free. And when you've been set free, you better learn to dance a little bit. as they speak in tongues, men from all nations who are participating in the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost would have been the most celebrated feast in the day at this period, only because um, Pentecost, the weather would have been really nice. And so for traveling, the city of Jerusalem filled up. Um, it was a great time to be out and about traveling, even more so than Passover. Cities filled with people from all the nations. They say that they hear the mighty works of God being proclaimed in their own languages. Now there's a lot of discussion concerning the miracle. Was it that the people heard in their own language? Was that the miracle that they were able to hear? I don't think that that's at all what the scripture implies. I think that the tongue of fire enabled them to speak. Enabled the disciples to speak in languages unknown to them. Tongues of fire on the disciples indicated that God was going to use these men and women to witness concerning God's Son and His strength. Also, 
often people will draw imagery from the Tower of Babel. Think Tower of Babel. They build a tower to, to heaven and God comes down and confuses their languages. And now they're spread out in different languages. And they'll say Pentecost is the flip of Babel when, when language no longer becomes the barrier. I think that's true to some extent. But again, I imagine Thomas is the first to say, he wants us to preach the gospel to the nations, but we're uneducated. You want us to preach the gospel to the nations, we don't understand culture. We don't understand imagery. You want us to preach the gospel to the nations, we don't have that capacity, God. We're willing, but unable. It's said that the most common fear, the most basic, primal fear for every human being is public speaking. Speaking in front of a crowd. It's often said it's because when most of us stand up in front of a crowd, we ain't got a thing to say is the problem. (laughs) Imagine pragmatic Thomas with me. Preach the gospel to the nations. I don't know the language. No one, there's no one who is comfortable with public speaking right off the bat. It takes years to get comfortable with that. Three, what do we say? How do we say it? If, if, if I didn't have to sermon prep every week, I would save a lot of time. But understand that this is what I want you to see in Acts. Number one, they didn't need to know the language. The Spirit knows the language. So God says to the pragmatic, like Thomas, don't be confined by your own limitations. You're limited by language. I'm not limited by language. If I've called you to the nations, get up and go. Number two, God says to pragmatic Thomas, I don't need you to write the messages. I'll write them. Realize they didn't have have a clue what they were saying. Oh God, that would save me some serious time throughout the weeks. I think they were the best sermons ever written. Written by the Holy Ghost himself. I think when people heard the the preaching of these men, I think they were cut to the heart. Wouldn't you like to hear what they had to say? God says to the disciples, I don't need you to know what to say. I know what to say. I don't need you to know how to say it. I know how to say it. I don't need you to understand all the different cultures concerning this cultural mumbo-jumbo we have here in Jerusalem. I'll work out the details. God declares, lean on my spirit. Your limits are not my limits. You will have challenges and hardships, trials at times. But God is saying to these first disciples, I will be your strength. I'll be your guide. They find themselves in front of thousands of men and women. And all of a sudden their tongues just begin to flap. They have no idea what's taking place. And God declares, you don't know language. I know language. The Spirit says, you don't have strategy, but I have strategy. The Spirit says, you may feel weak and uninfluential, but I'm strong and able to cut to the heart of even the most proud man or woman. You may feel weak. Hear me say, you may feel weak and uninfluential. You give yourself fully to the Spirit. He may not do this exact same miracle in your life. The Spirit does not have to do what he did before again. He is perfectly capable of doing whatever he wants to do. 
It is his liberty and his sovereignty to move however he sees fit to move. And so no, he doesn't just keep repeating the same miracle in Acts chapter 2. But he does declare to you that you don't have to figure it out. The effectiveness concerning the gospel going to the nations is not confined by our weakness. Rather, I think the Spirit is saying, get as weak as you can get and watch me show up. Oh, I'm desperate to see souls come to know Jesus in this community. I really am. I really am. Praying, talking to our staff, talking with our elders. We have got to figure out some strategy here concerning how we're going to reach this region with the gospel, with the power of the Spirit. And COVID came and shut all everything we were trying to do down. And it's time for us to get back on our toes. I don't care if, I mean, I do care, obviously. I hope that the COVID mess goes away. But if it doesn't go away, it shouldn't hinder us. It's time to get on our toes again. Get some strategy and prayer. I don't have it figured out. You may not have it figured out, but we need to give ourselves to God and say, God, you know exactly what we should be doing in order to reach this community, and we need you to reveal it to us. You know exactly what we should be saying. And I'm I'm believing in faith. When we cut this corner of this year, we're going to begin to open up some prayer meetings. I talked to you about this before. Um, I don't have the date in front of me. December the... Third is the date, I think. So Wednesday night, we're going to start praying here at the church on Wednesday nights. That's going to happen every Wednesday night. We're going to really pray and cry out for God to move. And so in faith, we're going to, we're going to ramp up our prayer lives. And I'm believing, stand with me, please, because it can't just be me. I'm believing that we're going to get some strategy toward how we're going to reach this city. I'm believing we're going to ramp up our outreach. I'm believing that God called you to this city in this time for a reason. Missionaries don't just live overseas. Missionaries live right here. And God's called you to reach this community. And it's time to get on our toes. It's time to put our hand to the plow. It's time to get off the couch and stand up and begin to preach the gospel again. I'm asking you to get excited with me. Lean in. And we may feel weak, we may feel uninfluential, uninfluential, we may feel like we don't know what to say, we may feel like we're unseasoned, we're scared to speak. But again, I don't need you to know what to say. I need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need you to give yourself to the presence of God. Give yourself to prayer and let your, let your heart get hot enough, I promise you, it'll just bust. And I think that's what happens. You give yourself to prayer and you long for God. I've been praying for months. God, make us people of prayer. Give us the unction to preach the gospel. And eventually my prayer life turns into, we have got to do evangelism because your your heart gets so hot that all you can do is bust. And that's my prayer for this church. And so all this takes place. The crowds hear the gospel being preached in their own languages. The best sermons I believe that have ever been preached by men who had no idea what they were saying. All this takes place, but of course there are scoffers in their midst. These men are drunks. When God speaks to Jesus audibly, the crowd say, oh, it just thundered. It's often said, we, we say, oh, if God would just speak audibly, then our hearts would believe. No, if you have a heart of unbelief, even when God speaks audibly, you'll say, it just thundered. God has healed the sick in our midst over the last several months. God has done incredible things in our midst. If you allow your heart to become the heart of the scoffer, you'll dismiss everything God does. And say, oh, they're just drunks. 
My point in looking at Acts in this season was primarily to make this simple assertion. God is after spirit-bathed witnesses who are bold and obedient, who are hungry for his presence, who lean on him and not in their own strength. But if, hear me church, if we embrace the posture of skeptics, we will always dismiss the supernatural. And in dismissing the supernatural, we are dismissing the very works of God. In our culture, we have denied the power of the Spirit for long enough because He makes us uncomfortable. I pray you get uncomfortable. Comfort has been God long enough. The Spirit does things that don't make sense to our Western mind, that we can't analyze with the scientific method, so we dismiss Him. Now, hear me. I know that there's showmanship. I know that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. I know, that there are, I know that there are false teachers. I'm not asking you to throw away your discernment. I'm not asking you to lean into deception. I'm asking you to learn to say with what the other half of the crowd said. What does this mean? Some said, oh, these men are just drunks. And others said, what could this mean? What could God be saying? I'm not asking you to throw away your brain in discernment, but I'm asking you, by God, to pick up your faith again. I'm asking you to pick up desperation for God's power. I'm asking you to be dependent upon the Spirit of God, not on our intellect, not on our strategies, not on our abilities. If we lean on our abilities, we'll fall short. I'm asking you to lean on the ability of the Holy Ghost, who is perfectly capable of turning this entire scenario we've got here, this mess that we live in, he's perfectly capable of flipping it upside down. If he revived our nation, not once, not twice, first great awakening, second great awakening, we got the Azuzu Street revival. If God has revived our nation in our darkest moments, he's able to do it now. He's able. And I think God is saying to his disciples, pragmatic Thomas, I'm not asking you to worry about what languages you know. I'm not asking you to worry about writing the perfect message. I'm not asking you to worry about right now how you can dissect and understand culture. I'm asking you for hunger for my presence and obedience. And the details we will shake out in his timing, for his glory, so church history tells us that Doubting Thomas preached the gospel all the way to India. Some even speculate that he spent time in China. He seems to go as far as anyone. Preach as boldly as anyone. Church history tells us that he died in India. Four soldiers stick him with spears. He gives his life for the gospel. I think he really was moved by the holes in Jesus' hands. I think he was moved by putting his hand in Jesus' side. I think after experiencing the power of the Spirit, he was ready to take on the world. He was convinced that God is able. He must have learned the lesson that the Spirit intends to grace us for all that he's called to accomplish it. He doesn't call us to accomplish works that he doesn't provide us the grace to accomplish. So Thomas gets wild. Goes as far as he can go. 
increases as boldly as he knows how. I'm asking you to get to the place again where your heart is ready and desperate for souls. I'm asking you to begin to pray for prodigals again. I'm asking you to begin to believe that God's able to deliver the addicts in your family again. I'm asking for you to believe that God's able to give dreams and visions to those members of your family who seem from the outside perfectly healthy, but we know inwardly are stale and rejecting God. If God is able to do those things in the Middle East today, he's able to do it here. I'm asking you to lean in. Understand that we will have opposition. We will experience persecution. Don't quit because thing gets hard. Paul had opposition and persecution. Peter had opposition and persecution. But I think Father is saying to us in Acts 2, rely on my spirit. Be sure you know my voice. Pursue the baptism of the spirit. Lean on my power. You don't need to be confined by your own strength and abilities. I have no confinement. Why tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost? Because there's a harvest to be had. And God says, if you are willing, I will make you able. If a church gets desperate, I'll bring my spirit. He has the wisdom. He he knows the strategy. He'll cause us to meet the people we need to meet. He can cause us to know things that we shouldn't know. God is not on his heels. The enemy has not outwitted God in this season. I think God's just waiting for a church to get hot. And I've been praying, God, we don't need you to make us the biggest, most influential church. I pray that you would make us a hot remnant, ready to serve, ready to preach. Make us a hot remnant. Because when culture begins to fade away, remember Elijah says, I'm the only man left. And God says, no, I got a, I got a remnant of 7,000 ready to go. I'm just praying in this season, God, God, make us ready. Make us that remnant. I'm not praying for fashionable Christianity. I'm praying for fruitful Christianity. I'm not praying for trendy church. I'm praying for hot church. Ready to lay down your life, church ready to carry your cross, church, ready to get uncomfortable, to see Jesus glorified and worshiped and adored, church. I'm asking for people who really know what it means to be fully loved by God and are so unconcerned with the praise and adoration of culture because they know that they have the praise of heaven. I'm asking for you to get hot, desperate, in love with Jesus again. Do you really love him? Do you really adore him? Yeah. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We'll get ready to close. Worship team, come for me. Where did they come from? That is the question. That is the dilemma we all need to resolve. Altar team, you guys want to get in place? We had a couple... Um, Words of
as we prayed, we felt like the Holy Spirit said a couple things that I just want to share with you as we get ready to close. The first, we really, um, two of our individuals in praying really felt like God was saying that there's an individual, maybe a couple of individuals who are struggling with thyroid issues. If you're struggling with anything going on with your thyroid, we want to, want to ask you to come forward during our ministry time today. We believe God's going to heal you. Don't be, don't be afraid of that. We just, believe sometimes God speaks and says, hey, this is what I want to do. So if you're struggling with thyroid issues, anything going on with your thyroid, I want to ask you to come forward and receive prayer. There was another word that came forward this morning that resonated with my heart. There was a word that said that some are downcast and God says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your faith in God and hope again. If you would say this morning, I'm just a little downcast. I'm a little discouraged. I'm a little confused. I want to ask you that during our altar time today, come receive prayer. We believe that God will set you free, that God will bring clarity. It's not God's intention that your mind feel confused and cloudy. He brings us truth. And the scripture says, you will know truth. And when you know the truth, then you will be set free. So those two words came forward this morning. If that's you, you can go ahead and make your way at any point. I asked our worship team just to lead us for a moment. I mean, as they lead us, um, I just want to pray that we would get hungry for the harvest. I want to ask God to forgive us, number one, if we've put down our mantle, to forgive us if we've been self-consumed. And I want to ask God to place a fresh passion in the heart of every home to see our, our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools really come to know Jesus. And I want us to get to the place where it's not just about what the church is doing, but it's about what your family's doing. And so let's pray. The worship team's going to lead us. Um, if you want to just sing, if you want to worship. But I'm going to believe God for the next few moments to release a passion for the harvest again. So again, the altars are open. If you want to pray, go ahead and come. If that's you and those words of knowledge, go ahead and come. But the rest of us, let's pray. Father, we know that at times we're stale. Lord, we know that our flesh has a tendency to want to be self-consumed and self-absorbed. Lord, we ask for your mercy and your forgiveness today. We come and we put ourselves back on the altar. And God, I'm praying today that you would give us hearts that are hungry to labor in the harvest. Lord, we ask that you would reignite our zeal to see our region have a fresh move of God. Lord, we ask that when we stand before you on the last day, we would be able to say we gave our all to see our community gaze upon Jesus. Lord, give us the energy. Give us the zeal. Lord, we don't lean upon our own strength today. We come and confess freely. We don't have the strength. We're asking for you to impart to us by your spirit the power. Lord, let let tongues of fire rest upon us. Lord, when we don't know what to say, speak through us. When we don't know how to say it, speak through us. Lord, we may not be able, but we are willing. Come, God. Come, God. Come, God. You're worthy. You're worthy. Seth, sing that for us, and we'll just keep pressing in for one more moment. Make us laborers, God. Make us laborers. Come on, if you need to just pray into that, the altars are open. Make us laborers, God. Jesus, Jesus, you're worthy of our best. You're worthy of our all. Hallelujah. You're worthy of our all. Hallelujah. Jesus. 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 Give me 
a hot heart, God. Hard hands, ready to labor. Jesus, Jesus, hallelujah. Come on, church, let your heart get hot. Hallelujah, we love you. You're worthy, worthy, worthy. You alone are worthy. in your hands. Let's pray this. God, give us hearts for the broken. Lord, we ask for the addicts. Lord, we ask for the promiscuous. We ask for the downcast. God, we ask for the proud and the arrogant. Lord, red, yellow, black, and white. Lord, every nationality, every ethnicity in this region, every socioeconomic class, every heart, God, come Come, Holy Spirit, and draw all men unto Christ Jesus. You are our only hope. You are our only desire. No one else is worthy of our attention this morning. So, Lord, we come against distraction where the enemy wants to distract us and confuse us. And we ask that you would teach us to set our faces like flint to see the gospel of Christ preached, proclaimed in this nation, in this region. Hallelujah. Go ahead and give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. You're worthy, worthy, worthy. Hey, no one like you. You alone. Hallelujah. We bless your name. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy, worthy,
love you so much. We thank you for worshiping with us this morning. The worship team is going to hang out for a bit. If you want to stay and worship, I won't keep you too long, though. But I just pray I do it in Jesus' name. I pray God gives you people to witness to this week. I pray you begin to pray again for your family members who don't know Jesus. Go be fruitful, man. Go get after the city. Get after your family in Jesus' name. We love you. Be blessed. Have a great week. And next steps will start at 1030. We love you so much, church.